Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. In this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jim Miller, who is not only a close friend and old teammate, but also a past colleague of mine at Training Peaks. He has coached some of the biggest names in cycling, including Kate Courtney, Lawson Craddock, TJ Van Garderen, and Chris Blevins, just to name a few. Jim has been part of 14 Olympic medals, including coaching Kristen Armstrong through her three Olympic gold medals in the time trial and multiple world championship victories. Jim is the current head of elite athletics at USA Cycling. Hope you enjoy the show. Okay, today on the CoachCast, I have a very long, long time friend of mine, um, shared a lot of great experiences with this guy, Jim Miller. Jim, thank you so much for being on the CoachCast. Thanks for having me. So head of elite athletics, um, new role for you here, but why the hell did you like leave your last employer? I mean, they were pretty <laughs> damn cool. I was, uh, yeah. What was I thinking? That was crazy. Well, you know, I mean, you worked for training peaks for two years, loved having you here. Uh, definitely a loss for us, but I know, um, if I'm going to lose you to anybody, USAC should be the organization you go to. You're the best man for the job. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It was one of those, it was one of those things I actually was, I really enjoyed, uh, my time at training peaks. I, I learned a, a lot at training peaks. Um, very grateful for the opportunity. It's, it really is a world-class organization with world-class people. It's, it's a lot of fun to work at. Uh, I really couldn't say enough good things about it. Well, you're born to coach. You got a lot of wisdom to share with our listeners. I know. Um, but it all starts with bike racing. If we go back, you know, to, I don't know, a couple decades here, you know, three decades or so, um, you, you raced, um, we were teammates for a while in the nineties together. And I think a lot of your kind of scrappiness in a way came from those roots. Would you say? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say that, that our upbringing bike racing was, uh, not what it is now. Uh, we didn't have near the the opportunities or chances to make it for ourselves and, and how many nights do we spend sleeping in cars at parking lots of races so we could race. I don't know anybody that does that now, but that was standard practice for us. Well, you also had a wife and, uh, your first child was born and you're still bike racing and had yeah. to pay the bills. Yeah. You know, and I think that really did kind of like instill like this, not always winner, but that winning mentality. I would agree. And I hadn't really gone back to that, but and thought of it like that, but, uh, for sure, uh, it, that played a role. So then why coaching? How do you make a jump from, you know, poor bike racer to I'm going to be a coach now. And what, what were the ambitions around that? Yeah, that was super, honestly, it was super random. I come from a, a family of coaches. I never assumed I would be in the, the family business when we were racing in our early twenties. Uh, I was riding my own training figuring out on my own, figuring out what we needed to do, trying to trying to make heads or tails of, of physiology and sport and application of. Um, ended up meeting Chris Baldwin in Fort Collins at a stoplight. We both moved to Fort Collins to go to school at CSU. 
uh, on the same day and met a day later to stop like both riding bikes training ended up riding together and, and training together. And, and after a couple of months, he was like, how do you decide what we're going to do every day? And it was a joke then. I'm like, well, really, I just make it up, but, uh, I'm, I do have a plan I'm trying to follow and create and learn from. And, and he literally said, why don't you ride my training? And I'm like, no way. I'm not responsible for somebody else failing. Uh, and he's like, no, no. He's like, I won't, uh, I won't hold you accountable. Uh, you ride it. I'll follow it. If it works, awesome. If it doesn't, fine. Uh, and I'll pay you. And at that time in life, you're like, oh my God, this money is going to go a long way here. So that's how it started. And then, and then, uh, you know, in Fort Collins, I think we were, we were fortunate to have a role model in your dad who basically showed us what was possible and that this was an actual occupation. Um, it's funny because really through the nineties, all I want to do is work for your dad, just try to prove myself as a, as a coach in hopes that he would hire me. And he probably had no idea that was the case. Uh, but that was for me, it was like, if you work for, for Joe Friel, then you were one of the best coaches. And that, that's all I tried to do. So how about, uh, other mentors, you know, your education, some of the early influencers on your coaching career? Yeah, you know, sometimes you look back and you don't realize how uh, how true being in the right place at the right time really is in life. Uh, when I went to college, I studied exercise physiology. Uh, one of my very my first uh, uh, college counselor um, was Dave Martin, who ended up being Dr. Dave Martin, uh, senior phys- physiologist at AIS. Um, he was just a grad student, uh, but I mean, now is is completely just random that I had such a good good guidance early on. Uh, everything I learned in physiology was either related to uh, cross country skiing or mountain bike racing. Yeah. Um, so just really, really fortunate to, to know Dave and what about Max Max Testa. I know you've talked Max a lot about Testa. him. Uh, Max Testa was definitely a mentor uh, when I first went through the USA Cycling Coaching Education program in like 1996 max was an instructor and max at the time had worked for uh motorola he'd worked for 7-eleven he he was working at magpie uh and it was just like a a guy that you read about in magazines and then all of a sudden he's standing there and you could ask him questions and he answered them as i would think of questions i would send him emails and say what do you think about this and he always answered the questions and it was amazing to me because uh, you could ask anybody else a question about training. It was like super secret, their secret sauce, their, their own little uh, bit of information they had, but they weren't willing to share. And Max would share everything. And I, I distinctly remember in, I don't know, like early, early 2000s or, or late 90s where I'm like, you know, if I ever become a good coach, I'm going to be like Max Testa. And, and I want to share everything I know. I'm not going to be the guy that holds back. Um, okay. So you then start and you know, your, your caller ID still comes up on my cell phone as peak to peak coaching (laughs) to this day. So you, you have this coaching company. Uh, how do you, you know, make the jump from your own business to USA cycling and what years were, uh, did that happen? Yeah. So I coached, I had a company called peak to peak training systems that I started in, uh, I think it was like 1993. After 2000, USA Cycling had a 
bit of a restructure, reorg, house cleaning, uh, got rid of all the, their, basically their entire high performance staff. So then USA Cycling started to look for a U.S. national women's team coach, uh, interviewed and uh, ultimately got the job. Uh, and about that time, then I sold peak to peak training systems to a guy named another college buddy from Wyoming, uh, John Heideman, who still to this day runs peak to peak training systems. All right. So, so let's dig into some of those uh, success stories. One of the first was Kristen Armstrong and Kristen won three Olympic time trials in a row. Uh, never been done before. She was old. She ended up being the oldest athlete to win a cycling gold medal. Yeah. What did you see in Kristen that you knew more about her future than maybe she did herself? So T-Mobile was an interesting time when we started that team. I walked in the office after being hired. I was uh, handed six emails that were printed and it said, these riders have said they would ride for you. And I was like, okay, do we have, are they under contract? Do we have contracts with them? And they were like, no, we have nothing other than these six emails. Uh, at the time, Saturn was the number one women's team in the world. So we, they were very, very hard to compete with. Uh, I had six riders and, and had to make contracts with them and then had to go out and find more. Uh, so I just started scouting and, and, uh, paying attention to every single race that existed. Even within race debriefs, I would ask questions like who was doing the pulling, who was working, who was, who was strong on the climb, who made the, who was in the group and looked good that maybe didn't make it to the finish, uh, who led the sprint out. I wanted to know everything that everybody was doing. And I ran across Kristen's name in uh, San Dimas stage race, used to be called Pomona. And she was second in the time trial, which is a hill climb. Uh, I looked her up, and at the time, she was a resident athlete uh, at the Olympic Training Center for Triathlon. And then I distinctly remember we were at this uh, race in Connecticut, Housatonic Valley. And we put Amber Neven in the break with uh, Anna Millward. Anna Millward at the time was the number one ranked woman cyclist in the world. And it happened right away, like first 15 minutes of the race. And then... Uh, for it felt like ever the, the gap stayed at 45 seconds finally i said in the radio i was like uh, hey who's chasing up there and kimberly bruckner replied in the radio and she says uh that armstrong girl and i paused for a minute and i'm like by herself and she's like yes by herself and it had been single file for 30 minutes and i was like good god uh, finally, finally she cracks as she's going to crack. Uh, we ended up getting second. I didn't even, I didn't even take uh, a moment to, to debrief with my own team. I just went straight to her car and I'm like, I don't know who you are, but I have a contract for you. Nice. Very cool. Uh, so she was obviously a T tier from the beginning triathlete, you yep. know, she could sit on the front all day long, one uphill time trials. So she goes into these Olympic years, um, but a time trial is not always a time trial. It's not just sit at one wattage for 60 minutes. You know, these three time trials in the three different Olympics were unique and different. Um, can you walk us through maybe just the highlights of each year and what the focus was for each time trial and what you had to work on those four years to prepare? Yeah, uh, they were entirely different as, as was her life situation each of those time trials 
uh, or each of those Olympic cycles. Um, Beijing was a, a really interesting time trial in that it was straight up and straight down. So the, the onset of that, we had two problems to solve. One is, is how do you time, how do you, how do you climb on your time trial bike uh, as well as you climb on your road bike? So we, we started off with replicating that climbing position on her time trial bike that she would have in the hoods, on the hoods of her road bike. Uh, and that would, that was comparable to the, the bullhorns of her time trial bike. So we were, we were really confident confident in her position and her ability to climb on that time trial bike but then you're going to turn around and go downhill for it was it was like 12 minutes it it literally at 65k an hour so aerodynamics is massive so then the second question was how do we how do we uh climb in a in a good powerful comfortable position but then maintain some aerodynamics on the uh on the way back so we don't lose everything we gained so those those were two really uh interesting challenges to overcome uh on this entire course what was really cool was you only had a break one time you only need to touch the brakes one time so we ended up finding an aero bar with an uh, a bullhorn with an integrated brake level brake lever uh, that was massively aerodynamic and she only had to use it one time and it didn't have to be stiff and it didn't have to be a, a good a good break it just had to be enough to slow down for one turn um, and at that point, she was a she was a professional athlete in in every sense of the term. It was making a good living, spent most of her time in Europe racing bikes. Uh, husband was an uh, engineer at HP, um, so she she lived, breathed, uh, cycling twenty four seven, and and that was that was fairly easy to to just do a straight up preparation for. Uh, after Beijing, she was uh, world champion in 2009, and then after that world title, uh, became pregnant with her son, Lucas. Um, wasn't sure she was going to come back. Uh, around 2011, she was like, what would it take? Uh, right, it was, actually, it wasn't even 2011. It was, it was right after Lucas was born. Um, so we, we set a plan out to, to at least have her ready, give her a chance to qualify and, and race and uh, totally different demands. Now she has a family. She has a child. Uh, she has she has responsibilities. She's she's trying to get fit. She's trying to uh, uh, some cases feed. Uh, so it wasn't just like you can go out, you can train, you can recover, you can rest. Um, there were there were a whole host of other demands. The course in in London wasn't wasn't uh, there was nothing super spectacular about it. Uh, I think we we did tactically uh, we did have a good tactic for it, and we did uh, think about the aerodynamics. We always thought about aerodynamics. I don't think we ever got beat on aerodynamics, but we did have this uh, secondary uh, aero position for that for the long false flat down it was just this kind of extended she would reach out over her bar ends so she was extended like almost to her wrists but we found in the wind tunnel that that reduced drag by almost 200 grams wow just a huge amount and and when we got to the second time check which was just down through the 
uh, falls flat downhill, I think she'd taken 20 some seconds out of everybody. And I don't think it was power. I just think it was aerodynamics. That was a great win. And it was a great win because it was, it was uh, under some different circumstances. And she had retired prior to that too, right? She had taken I mean, a year off. coming yeah. out of retirement. Yeah. She, she retired, had taken a year off, had a child, all that. Okay. So Kristen Armstrong just kind of sweeps three Olympics in a row, but you don't just coach roadies. Uh, you have this uh, Kate Courtney on the mountain bike scene that's really just lighting things up. Amazing, amazing talent, obviously. Um, how did you discover her and you know, what did you see special in, in her that's now kind of come to fruition? Kate had been racing Nike as a, as a high school student. Uh, she came on a few trips uh, with our mountain bike program to, to Europe. I'd watched her results um, somewhere around 20, uh, I guess it was probably the fall of 2015. Uh, she asked if uh, I would take a look at her training. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cindy Meteor Training Peaks took a look at it and was was blown away that the results she was getting with the training she was doing. And prior to meeting with her, her dad sent me an Excel file and I opened it up and and he literally done the work that I would have done, uh, which you know is going to take take a day. It's going to be five, six, seven hours of of pulling data and, and putting together a picture. And I literally was like, "Who are you?" Uh, as it turns out, he's a he, he was an analyst for um, some financial firms in San Francisco and and things like that as well. So we had this conversation. I, I always start off with, "What's your goal? Uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish in cycling?" And and I'll generally press athletes until they really get honest with it. Um, and and I asked her what she wanted to do, and she didn't even hesitate. She's like, I want to be 2020 Olympic gold medalist. She's, you know, only 21 years old, 20 years old. And she's like, is that possible? And so with, with just knowledge I had, I, I worked on a year over year progression in terms of power and power to weight. And I said, yeah, you know, look, if, if, if you progress for the next five years at this level, then yeah, you'll be capable of doing it. Uh, there's a lot else that goes into winning Olympic gold medals than, than power. But, uh, in terms of just the raw ingredient, yes, it, it's entirely possible. And she's like, great. That's what I want to do. I'm, I'm always super protective with Olympic years because they take so much effort and time and bandwidth. Uh, I said, no, I can't do it. I can't do it right now. Uh, I would be happy to consult on training, but I can't be responsible. And I think the second I got back from Rio, I had an email. I'm talking like the day I got home of wow. Rio's over. Will you coach me now? And and I'm like, well, look, I'd be a fool to say no. I think, I think you're that talented. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's do it. So, so what area did she need to work on the most? What was maybe the weakness that you had to hone in on? Uh, for her at that time, she'd primarily been earning all of her results anaerobically. So she could, uh, she could anaerobically survive these first two, three laps, four laps, but then she would have big fall offs. So I'm like, we essentially just need to build your aerobic system and get you uh, on par aerobically. And then anaerobically, you're, you're fine. So then we can start making improvements there. Um, technically, 
uh, World Cup mountain bike courses um, are, are very technical. So we had a, I thought we had a lot of technical aspects we had to improve. She's, she was already a good bike rider anyways, a good bike handler. But hmm. so we spent a lot of time focusing on technique and then uh, sort of this three-year plan of, of building the engine. So she goes on and wins the, becomes world champion in mm-hmm. 2018. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Her first year in the elite it's, ranks. Yep. Incredible. And then follows it up last year, 2019 season, being the overall World Cup winner. Yep. And, you know, I've kind of seen her, obviously she she posts a lot and, and there's these big training camps that you have her do. Uh, tell us about the reasoning behind those. What do those look like? What time of the season do they, you know, happen? And just kind of give us a little more insight into these big training blocks that she does. It's it's really just have fun, to be honest. Uh, you can do a lot of solo training and a lot of intervals on your own. You can do a lot of suffering by yourself, uh, but there's something uh, to be said with with that group effort and those times within your training cycles that. A good block of group training is awesome because it, it challenges you, it pushes you. Generally, is harder than you would have gone on your own, uh, but there's an end to it, so you can you can dig in. Um, the first one we did with her was is what we ended up calling the Kate Epic, which has a little bit of cachet now. Um, in 2018, she was going to ride the Cape Epic with Annika Langved, who is multiple mountain bike world champion, multiple Cape Epic winner everybody that knows the cape knows that that that's the hardest stage race in the world for uh mountain bike racing and for years i tried to convince mark gullickson our national mountain bike coach to to send a team there because it was to me in march prior to world cup season was just a great time to get this big block of racing uh so she has this chance and i'm kind of like well i got to put my money where my mouth is now uh Told her to, to do it, say yes, and we'll make sure she's prepared. Uh, she says yes, and then she's like, I've never done a stage race. I'm like, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe we should have thought about that then. <laughs> a three-day stage race before trying the Cape Epic might be a, a better idea, but we committed. So I said, look, let's just replicate uh, the Cape Epic and in, into a training block, and when you're done with the Cape then she ended up terminating at the Kate Epic. I'm like, and when you're done with the Kate, then uh, you'll be ready for the Kate. <laughs> so that became the first uh, big block of, of that kind of training. And, and the whole purpose for it was just that, so that she would mentally feel like she was prepared to race the Kate Epic. Okay. So with this uh, COVID-19 crisis uh, happening, obviously she's, been focused on the Olympics for the last four years. That's now going to be a five-year preparation cycle. You know, how is that really, how have you adjusted to that in terms of her training and what kind of initial steps do you take and where is she now? You know, how, how does that affect uh, the planning? Really quickly, early on, I, I realized that this was going to be a, a longer haul than, it, than maybe it appeared. Uh, we, we pulled the pin really early, like, uh, second week of March, took a break, um, and just basically went back to, to base training 2.0. And, and we didn't take so much of a break that it was like an off season coming from a, you know, a 
2019 into 2020, but is more like a you had the flu or you you were injured and you had 10, 12 days off the bike. Uh, but then you start training again. And then we just we just sort of relaunched into a uh, a training program that we would have done from November through January. And I had a couple of goals up front. One is I didn't want any workout or any interval to be mentally challenging. It, I didn't want somebody to get broken by the effort in training because at this moment in time, it's we're all mentally somewhat fragile because we don't know what we're training for. We don't know what races are going to exist. And mental energy is, is some, some days the motivation is high and some days it's not. So, so it's really been a, a, a pause, try to just to maintain some fitness. And then as we start to understand when things are going to open up and calendars will be begin again, it, uh, we won't be so far down in the fitness scale that we can't step on the gas and, and be ready to go. Cool. So, so, um, she's, uh, taking it well. Um, how does the race season play out from here? What are you guys planning or what do you suspect might happen? And when I I'm expecting racing right now to return August 1st, uh, I hope we see some events trickle into Europe in July, which would give us some hope that that's going to happen. Uh, we have the, the road calendars that have been released that, that say racing is going to start August 1st. So that's our goal. And that's what we're shooting for. Uh, the, the mountain bike calendar anyways, had been world cup heavy post Olympics in 2020. So to date, they've only missed one world cup. Uh, so we're still looking at the opportunity of a, a pretty full world cup season. Okay. So how about a little more in terms of your philosophy of coaching, you know, do you try and educate the athlete to almost self-manage in a way, like get them more educated on, are you allowing them per se to even make decisions in the moment and say, I, I really need to not do these intervals or I need to cut this short or holy cow, I feel great today. I've been given the green light to do even more. What do you, what are your, some of your thoughts around, around that? Yep. All the time. They're the, uh, I'll, I'll tell my athletes all the time that they're the CEO of their company. I work for okay. them. They make, they make decisions. They make choices. Uh, if they want to override one of my decisions, they can because it's their company. I, I challenge my athletes a lot, uh, but in return, I accept challenge. And if they want to know why we're doing a workout and I can't explain it, then I, I take the responsibility for not being able to explain it clear enough or understanding it well enough so that they're comfortable with it. Um, vice versa, I don't give them any workouts that I can't uh, explain why we're doing them. Fairly famously, people know that, that on hard interval sessions or hard days of training, where I know it's going to be nasty. If they call, I don't answer. Um, I just want to know in the end what they decided to do. Um, mm -hmm. And more times than not, they end up working through it. They figure out that they can go deeper than they thought they could and, and they get themselves through it. And, and what it does is it doesn't give them an out. Um, if they want out, they can take the out, but they have to choose the out themselves, not me. Right. So this is a test in a way. Yeah. It gives them, it empowers them over their decision making. And if if they do, like for me, I think a, a cornerstone workout is five by five, VO two. But anybody who's done that knows that that's a horrendous workout. Mm -hmm. And if they do one by five and they quit, then I just want to know why they quit. But with, but with no ramifications, I never I never bag on them for it. I never criticize. 
but then other times they can they can just knock out five by five and, and devour it and crush it and and uh, move on. So in those kind of cornerstone workouts, I I really leave it up to them to decide how much they can handle and how much they want to push. And I'm not there out. And some athletes are definitely just as much into the data as you are. Mm-hmm. Others aren't. Is that is that true in the case of you? Have you coached athletes that love the data? Others that it it was intimidating to them. Yeah, full spectrum. You know, you always get those the the guys who just say, "Tell me what to do. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll do it. And if I can't do it, then I can't do it." Uh, and then you get the people that that want to sit down and break down the file with you um, and go through it. So going almost full circle back to the beginning, you had a lot of uh, great mentors that you were able to learn a lot from. Maybe in your experience of coaching over 25 years now, what what has been some of the big changes in the profession of coaching um, in terms of uh, philosophy of training, et cetera? What, what are some takeaways for you over this last quarter of a century of coaching? Wow, man. Um, <laughs> that's a big one. Uh, I always think we're like on the, what we know right now is, is tip of the spear, cutting edge. We're, we're ultra smart. And then you look back three years, you look backwards three years and you're like, I can't believe I was writing the training I was writing then. Uh, so I think it's, it's just this continual evolution of information and knowledge. Um, you know, for sure the power meter was a, was a big piece, uh, understanding how to, how to Analyze power was a big piece. Uh, having having metrics that helped you make decisions uh, was a was a big piece. If you if you think about philosophies, I mean, in the in the nineties, we were all Tudor Bompa. It was it was all uh, heavy blocks, right? Three weeks on, one week off. Um, you lived and died by that. You you built blocks based off of energy systems only, and that's all you did. Um, and, and you progress through this whole spectrum of, of energy systems and power durations and assume that when you completed that, that you'd be race ready. And, and we all know that now that, uh, that probably didn't work that great. I think the most in, invaluable thing for me is, is to, uh, to actually just keep learning and, and keep challenging yourself and assume that you don't know as much as you think, you know and um, pay attention to what other people are doing and, and listen, but also use your own instincts and gut uh, to determine whether you think that makes sense or not. Yeah. So any kind of help on resources or any um, tips for young coaches on, on their evolution? Yeah. I mean, read, 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 read. When I started this coaching career, never considered myself a reader. Uh, but when I look back on it and, and people talk about books, I'm like, yep, I read that book. Yep, I read that book. Yep, I read that book. Uh, I just don't think you can read enough. Um, and, and maybe it doesn't have to be reading. Maybe it's Audible. Maybe it's books on, on uh, Amazon, whatever. But uh, I, I say read nonstop. Well, and now a lot of uh, influencers out there are, are so accessible you know, through uh, social media, Instagram, Twitter, you can almost ask them anything they want and they'll get back to you, you know? And so that's a great resource you didn't have uh, 20 years ago. It is. It is. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting too, with, with, uh, training peaks articles, you would think a guy like 
when I get those emails with the different articles from coaches, I don't even know some of those coaches, but uh, I read their articles and, and sometimes I agree, sometimes I disagree, but it's, it's just, there, there's so much content that comes at us now that uh, you can, you can consume as much as you can consume. Uh, but I think for, for learning to be a good coach, that's it. Uh, the other thing I would say is, is to actually coach, coach a lot, coach as much as you can. Um, coach your kids' sports, coach different sports, coach different levels. Uh, the more you can coach, the more you uh, ultimately fail. The more you fail, the ultimate, ultimately the more you learn. Yeah, that's that's a great way to wrap up. I think uh, learning from other sports is uh, another key one. You know, we don't in the world of cycling or triathlon or whatever you coach. You know, you can we can always learn from other sports. So that's a that's a great takeaway. Um, any any last words of wisdom here? Uh, coach Miller. No, hang in there. This can't last forever. <laughs> this too will pass. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I hope everybody's healthy out there and thank you so much, Jim. I, I have like 50 more questions, so maybe we'll have you on again, uh, in the future, but yeah, thank you so much, Jim, for your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the training peaks coach cast for more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge.